Tonight, well, let's uh, continue on our series about uh, what people want to know about the Bible. If you're visiting with us, what we're doing is taking some of the basic uh, topics that people ask questions about. Uh, TV program, Know Your Bible, we've been getting questions for 26-some years, and uh, people just want to know some basic things about the Bible without a whole lot of uh, trouble about it, just, well, what about this? And I've decided this year we'll take some of those topics. And this one is a biggie. This is probably the biggie. Uh, I started with how can we understand the Bible, which was essential for us studying this year. But this one, the end times and the afterlife. And what's going to happen toward the end of time and what's going to happen after we die and what are heaven and hell going to be like? Okay, now from that <laughs> topic, some of you think hey, we're going to be here till next year's Super Bowl. Uh, we're not going to cover all of that tonight. Uh, we're just, in fact, we're going to break it up into uh, about seven different lessons at least. We may have to go more than that. I listed them at the top of your handout there. But the whole topic, the end times, the afterlife, heaven and hell, all that, people wonder about that. Ask a lot of questions about that. Now, that whole topic, the, the big word for it is eschatology. Uh, eschka means last and ology means study of. So it's the study of the end, study of the last things. The one dictionary definition for eschatology says it's the department of theological science concerned with the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Now, if I'm not sure, I'm, I guess that's the four last things, uh, pretty much in that order. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. But there's a few things in between that uh, that we're going to talk about also. So we're talking about the end time, the, the study of the last things. And the topics that I've picked are, are number one, or A and B, I put them, is understanding prophecy in the millennium. Now, that's not technically a part of the last times. It's a whole different subject in some ways, but it intertwines so much with death, judgment, second coming, all of that, that I thought we'd better spend a little time on it. Plus, we get a whole lot of questions about it. People want to know about the rapture, want to know about the tribulation, want to know who the Antichrist is, want to know all this stuff. So, we're going to work on those first, understanding prophecy tonight and then the millennium next week. And then we'll get into the real eschatology. Uh, C is the intermediate state. Where does our soul go when we die? Uh, 2D is the second coming. Uh, what's that going to be like? Final judgment. Well, what's going to happen there? What's, what's that for? We get questions all the time that... Uh, if you if you die and you go to heaven or hell, what's this judgment thing about? Why you have to wait for that, and what's that include? And then we'll spend a couple of weeks on the the big topics of heaven and hell, and see what we can learn about those. So that's the eschatology plan that we've got here, and it'll take us at least seven weeks probably to get through all that, unless we go off on too many side tracks. It may take us a little longer, but we'll work on it uh, tonight. Understanding prophecy. Let me tell you why we're doing this. And 
Now, let me say this first. What I gave you on this paper here is not near a complete, thorough study. I mean, you can buy huge books on how to understand prophecy and the millennium and all the different theories on it, all that. This is supposed to kind of summarize it and give you a little reference that you can go back to and look at sometime. Uh, the answers are really pretty simple. And that's what I want you to get out of that. Uh, I want you to learn enough basics that you can give an answer to somebody. If they ask you, what do you think about the millennium? Is there going to be a rapture? Uh, I want you to know enough to be able to give them an answer. So uh, this is not complete. It's not near thorough enough to explain it very well. I'll try to talk in between it a little bit and give you enough reference here that you can keep to remind yourself someday. Now, why we're starting with understanding prophecy. Uh, how many of you are familiar with or even fans of uh, John Hagee? <laughs> None of you will admit it. You're not a real fan then. You won't admit it. I know some of you watch John Hagee and listen to him on the radio. Uh, he's a very interesting speaker. And on certain topics, he's excellent. I mean, he's quite the motivator. He, uh, he's got the unique flair and from a, uh, the, the science of preaching standpoint, he's very interesting to listen to. But his thing right now, what he's very big on, is the, the eschatology, what we're talking about, especially the millennium and the end times, and he really tied into Israel. He's big on Israel and what's going to happen to Israel and all the things going on in the Middle East are foretold in the Bible. And that's what he preaches almost all on now. Uh, he's got a new book out, and I'll get the Christian book distributor's pamphlet. It was on the front page, Four Blood Moons. Okay, Four Blood Moons, Something is About to Change. Okay, that's Mr. Hagee's newest book. Now, if you haven't read that, which I hope you haven't wasted time reading it, I haven't, but I've, I know what it's about. Uh, what the, the book is about ties in so much to understanding prophecy that it helps us understand why we got to spend a little time on this tonight. And I'll try to go as quickly as possible. What Hagee says is that NASA has looked at the heavens and predicted uh, that there are going to be four total lunar eclipses in a row starting this year. And they're all six months apart. Okay, April 15th, coming up here in a few months, and then October the 8th, then April the 4th of next year, and September the 28th of next year. Four total lunar eclipses. NASA doesn't call them blood moons. That's not a scientific term. Uh, that's not even a science term. We, we don't call them that, but Mr. Hagee does. Uh, and he says all four of those are going to happen on a Jewish feast day. Now, if this starts to sound a little complicated, that's because it is. He, he's got all this figured out and all of it worked out. All four of them are going to happen on a Jewish feast day. And every other time that that's happened, that there have been four blood moons, he calls them, in a row like that, major things have happened in Israel. Okay, major events, significant events, he says. Okay, he goes back to the last two sequences of blood moons. Uh, one was in 1949 and 1950, and that's when Israel was declared a nation. 
Then the next one was in 67 and 68, and that was when they fought the Six-Day War. Now, if you're holding in there, staying up with him, then he goes on and says there were 19 years between the first two, between 49 and 68, and then there's 48 years between the last one and this one, and you take those two, and that makes 1948. And that's the year that Israel uh, attacked and reclaimed their land. Okay? So what the subtitle says is, something is about to change. Now, I don't know what his guess is on that. But the whole thing is based on his way of understanding prophecy and tying all these things together from all different places in the Bible. And he's coming out of that and saying that something in 2014, 2015, big is going to happen in Israel. Maybe they're going to take over the temple. Maybe Jesus is coming back. Maybe all kinds of things. Okay. Now, the reason I spent that much time telling you that is because that's an example of what we see a lot of these days. We see a whole lot of prophets who have figured all this out. And it all has to do with the end times and the second coming and when is Jesus coming back and are we in the tribulation yet and is this happening here and when's the rapture and all that. Now, there's some problems with his prophetic revealings. Uh, He had to tweak the numbers a little bit. If you look at them, they're not real consistent like God does when he's using numbers. Uh, So he's switched around the 67s and 8s and picked and choosed, got it to come out in 1948 and a few other things. Uh, His definition of significant events is a little bit (laughs) questionable. Uh, For all the times that this happened, he had to find significant events, and some of them are pretty insignificant. Uh, The other thing he tweaked is uh, these things didn't happen on the day of the eclipse or anything really close even. He had he had to take a two-year span there, and he found a significant event in there somewhere. Uh, he makes a lot out of Genesis 1.14 that says the stars and the moons are for signs, and all prophetic guys do that, uh, so that when things happen in the skies, you're supposed to find something in it. Uh, that's not what God meant. God put the sun, I mean the stars and the moon up there, uh, for signs, for us to navigate by, for us to see by. Okay? Uh, they're not clues to every prophecy in the world. Uh, he's got a lot of other problems with it that we'll go into as we talk about understanding prophecy. One more let me mention. He's big, where this blood moon thing comes from is Joel 2. Joel 2 verse 31 says that the moon will be turned to blood. Uh, that's a prophecy about the coming of Jesus, of the Messiah. Okay, So what Hagee's done is taken that and says, all right, that's going to happen sometime. When the moon turns to blood, we're going to know Jesus is coming. Well, he's got a little problem. Because Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said, what you are seeing, what's happening right now on the day of Pentecost, is what Joel prophesied. So that prophecy is already done. And that's 
what we're going to talk about when we get over here to this understanding prophecy is you got to follow a few rules to understand prophecy or to try to even understand prophecy. Okay, so uh, whether Mr. Hagee's right, wrong, or indifferent, it uh, doesn't matter a whole lot. It's just an example of what we see today. And there are a whole lot of preacher types that make their living on this prophecy business. Okay? The end times, what's going to happen to Israel, all that. You can find book after book after book and uh, guy after guy on TV that that's what they specialize in. Now, we're going to go through a little bit quicker than them and not spend a whole lot of time on it for a couple of reasons. Uh, and the big reason, now, and you've got to take me, understand what I'm saying here. Uh, actually, in my opinion, bottom line, deep down, none of this really matters. Okay? Now, some of you smart ones are saying, well, why in the world is he going to preach seven weeks on it? You know, if it doesn't matter. Well, it matters, and it's extremely interesting. You know, I I'd, would love to know what heaven's going to be like. You know, I'd love to know all the details. I, I want to know everything about the intermediate state and the second coming and all that. I, I wish I understood the millennium. You know, and it's good to study it and it's good to know what... It's about so that we can talk to people who are asking questions about it. But if you think through all of them, there's not a one on that list that it matters about. Because once you die, or once Jesus comes back, which are the only two options, you either die before he comes back, or you're still alive when he comes back. Either one of those, it's settled. For you, it's done. And heaven's going to be good and hell's going to be bad. That's really all you need to know. You know. When you die, if you go to some intermediate state, if you've lived the right kind of life and are in Christ, it's going to be a good place. If you haven't, it's going to be a place of torment. Okay? I mean, the basics are settled. And you can't change any one of them. So to put this in a category of the most important thing to study in the Bible, it's not close. A fellow come the other day and I asked to borrow some books on Revelation. He's ready to study Revelation. I said, that's good. Go right ahead. You know, my plan is when I get the other 65 figured out, I'm going to work on Revelation. But I haven't got the first 65 figured out yet. Uh, so when I say it doesn't really matter, it doesn't mean it's not important, it's not part of God's Word. It's, yeah, it's worth studying, but eternal, the end of things, is beyond our control. What state you're in when you die, or when Jesus comes back, that's what's important. Okay, now, that's probably one of the weirdest sermons you ever heard is, I'm going to tell you a whole bunch of stuff, and none of it matters much, but <laughs> here we go. Understanding prophecy to uh, the end times, everything that's said about the end times in here is a prophecy, a predictive prophecy, because it hadn't happened yet. So everybody that wrote about it 
was writing about something in the future. They were writing what the Holy Spirit told them to write. And sometimes they didn't understand it. We'll talk about that in a moment. So if it's all prophecy, we've got to have a few principles of understanding prophecy. Number one, and this is probably the biggie, is the Old Testament was written for the sake of the church. Okay? A lot of history in there that the Jews study and a lot of rules and stuff that they, they followed and all that. But overall, if you look at the Scriptures, the Old Testament was written for our sake so we'd understand some things. Okay? Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Okay? You understand the Jews got through with just a few scrolls and all that and verbal history and all that. They used it and needed it and all that, but Paul says in Romans what was written down is really for our instruction. The Old Testament prophets, a lot of their prophecies, they didn't even understand what they were talking about. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, he said they didn't understand it. They just wrote what the Spirit told them. They weren't serving themselves or even the people they were writing to at the time. They were serving us. The prophecies were for us. So we'd understand. First okay. Peter one twelve, Peter says what the prophets wrote for us has been explained to us by those who preach the gospel. Okay. Now, now that I've put those thoughts out there, let's go read it directly from First Peter, and maybe it'll make sense to you here. First Peter chapter one, verse ten. Concerning salvation, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Okay, let's back up a second. Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, any of those that wrote about the suffering servant, about Christ being born in Nazareth, about the, the coming and what it would be like. Joel in chapter 2. When the Spirit told them, write this down, they said, man, I want to know what that means. I want to know when the Messiah is coming. And they searched and they asked questions and they, they tried to find out and they couldn't find out. That's just what the Spirit told them. So they were, verse 11, trying to find out the times and circumstances which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, the Spirit's answer to them was, this isn't for you. They were not serving themselves, but you, Christians, Peter's writing to, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. He said even the angels didn't understand it. 
Now, what's one of Paul's favorite words when he talks about the gospel? Mystery. He says the mystery's been revealed. Okay? So all of these prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming, all of that was written for us to understand. The guys that wrote it didn't understand it, but they weren't writing for them. They were writing for us. And the preachers of the gospel, Peter and Mark and John and all of them and Paul, they explained it to us. Paul said, here's what that mystery was. Here's what this means. All through the gospels, you see that phrase. He did this to fulfill the prophecy. This happened to fulfill the prophecy. So so if you put all this together, Old Testament prophecies, in general, overwhelmingly, I'm sure there's some about the end times, but overwhelmingly, they were pointing to the coming of Christ. Okay? And that's what Hagee and all the other prophets do wrong is they take something out of the Old Testament that Daniel said about the Messiah or that Isaiah said about the prophet or Joel said about the the Messiah and they apply it not to Jesus' first coming but to his second coming. So if you look at it that way and somebody tells you, well, Daniel so-and-so says this. Well, okay, Joel says this. Okay, Joel says there's gonna, the moon's going to turn to blood. And NASA says the, there's going to be blood moons. Well, so, Joel already got completed. It's already done. So it was written for the church so we'd understand who the Messiah was. So that's the first key. If you look at almost everything in the Old Testament. It was written for the church. It was to explain the coming of the Messiah. And he came. Okay. Second principle of interpretation here, real quickly, is a lot of times the New Testament will interpret the Old Testament for us. We don't have to wonder about it. Example. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Malachi prophesies, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. I'll send you the prophet Elijah. Okay? How many of you have read or know of the Left Behind series? About premillennialism and all that. Okay. Uh, I read the whole thing just out of interest. Very interesting novels until it got toward the end where he was just trying to think of a way to make another novel so he could sell more. But the start of it was very interesting. Now in that, there's a huge portion of one part of his philosophy where the prophet Elijah comes back in the end times. Okay, And the way he would document that, he'd go to Malachi 4 or 5. So you see, it says that the prophet Elijah is going to come back. Well, if he just read for 11 more chapters, get over into Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. John the Baptist is coming. And verse 14, if I can find it. 
Yeah, verse 14, if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Settled, bam, done. Okay, John the Baptist was the prophecy that Malachi was talking about. Took place in the first century. It had to do with the second or the coming of Christ. We we now know who the Elijah is. We don't have to wait for another Elijah. Prophecy's fulfilled. So the New Testament does that a lot. It explains what the Old Testament said. I already said in the Gospels. It said he did this so the prophecy would be fulfilled. A lot of modern day prophets take those prophecies and try to apply them to the second coming. Can't do that. Third, which is, goes unsaid, prophetic language is often figurative. Uh, not all of it's intended to be interpreted literally. If you read Revelation, you've you got to figure that out pretty quickly. Uh, God talked about speaking in riddles and dark sayings and symbols. Numbers 12, 6 through 8 is interesting. He said, I talked to prophets. In, in different ways, and I, I give them visions. But Moses, I speak face to face. Moses, I speak clearly to him. I don't give it to him in a riddle. I tell him, here's what I want. Okay? So God says all through the Bible that he does this. I speak in parables and, and in riddles and dark sayings and symbols. Uh, why does he do that? I don't know. I don't know why he chose to do that, but he admits he does. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 says that this is the prophecy given to John. And he says, God made it known by sending his angel. And that phrase, made it known, really should be translated, he signified it. He didn't speak directly to John. He gave him a bunch of visions that signify something, which I don't think we can figure out. It signifies something, but it's some dark sayings. It's some riddles. It's some it's some symbols, the whole book of Revelation. Okay, so understand that. And prophets like Hagee, and especially the Left Behind series, and uh, premillennialists, especially the dispensational ones, take everything literally. This is what it's got to be. A lot of it's figurative. A lot of it isn't going to be literal. Okay, last one for prophecies can be fulfilled physically or spiritually. Some of them are done in a spiritual realm, not in the physical realm. Okay, now those four may have just confused you. Let me give you, let me tell you why they matter and how they apply. Uh, first, I, I didn't put it in here. I thought it just confused things. But the whole matter of Israel and what's going to happen to Israel, Hagee and the others believe that, uh, like the Left Behind series, that all Jews are eventually going to turn to Christ. They're all going to be converted. Some of the things Paul says in Romans lead them to believe that and all that. They completely separate Israel, the nation of Israel, and the church. Okay? They got that wrong. Israel is not God's special people anymore. We are the new Israel. The church is the new Israel. Okay. 
If you don't understand that, if you don't understand that the Old Testament was written for the sake of the church, if you don't understand all of that, then you can get really confused. So this whole matter of Israel and stuff that Hagee talks about, if we don't have these four things down, Pat, then it makes kind of sense. The other one, besides the state of Israel or the purpose of Israel and all that, this is the biggie, is the kingdom of God. What do you think about the kingdom of God? Uh, Now, everybody knows who the king is. Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, he was the Messiah. He's the king. Okay. But people don't agree about when he's going to set up his kingdom and what that kingdom's going to be like. Okay. So here's the two th- ways you can take it. Hagee left behind all of those, take it this way, that at his second coming, he's going to set up his kingdom. He didn't get it done the first time. Okay? He came, he failed, they killed him. Didn't get his kingdom set up. So he's coming back at some point. He's going to set up a physical, political kingdom. He's going to rule from the throne of David in Jerusalem. And he's going to rule for a period of a thousand years. And then he's going to take everybody to heaven. Okay? Now, you can read enough verses to prove that. If you ignore points one, two, three, and 4 that I just gave you. If you think everything's got to be literal. If you don't remember that Old Testament was written for the church. If you don't think through those things, then you can read enough verses that says, yes, the Messiah is going to rule on the throne of David. But if you understand that there are physical realities and spiritual realities, and that not all language is literal, and the other things we talked about, then here's a possibility. When he came the first time, he did set up his kingdom. It's not a physical, political kingdom. It's a spiritual, heavenly kingdom. And he's not sitting in Jerusalem. He's sitting on the heavenly throne in the spiritual realm. And he is ruling right now. And the thousand year thing, he doesn't have to rule for 365,000 days. It just means a long period. So you can read the exact same verses and say that Jesus set up his kingdom. We are in the kingdom. And you can read a whole lot of verses that prove that. We've been translated into his kingdom. He is the king. He's ruling from heaven. And we are in that period where Christ is ruling from heaven. We're in the thousand years. We're in the long period. Now, how do you get so far apart on anything? You don't understand the rules of understanding prophecy. So, uh, hopefully that lays enough groundwork for understanding prophecy that we can go on. Now, what we're going to talk about next week is the millennium. Uh, There is one passage that talks about a thousand years, and it's only in there one time, but man, has it made a huge impact on people that study that kind of thing and get all hung up on it, and we're going to look at all the possible interpretations and see if we can explain the the rapture and the millennium and the antichrist and all those things. 
just one short lesson. Come back and see if we can do that next week. Appreciate your attention. Appreciate you coming back this evening and being a part of our worship together. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way, we're going to invite you to do that. Brother Mark's going to come lead us on. If you need to come, come.